Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome to our show. I'm sorry for my internet connection. The, the last two days uh, are very terrible for me. I don't know what's going on. Even in Florida, in uh, <laughs> this pretty sunny state, we have the problems, but, you know, we can move forward. And I'm excited to discuss today about influence marketing, how you can win uh, on this game. Uh, for B2B, we will cover B2C businesses, of course, as always, and many others. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Vivian Garnes. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me, Anatoly. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a big pleasure for me, you know, to get you on my show because I check out your experience. You have extended knowledge about this uh, niche. Can you tell more about your background uh, and why you decided to pay attention to this topic? Of course. So um, I have a business background. I went to business school. I worked in marketing. My first job out of college was a, I was the first marketing hire at a startup here in France. I'm, I'm a French national. After which I co-founded uh, a number of e-commerce websites, one of which, it's a little bit of an embarrassing story, but was a necktie company. Turns out that nobody wore necktie, wears necktie. I should have been doing a little bit more market research uh, uh, than I did. But long story short, uh, to sell my products, I had to do some influencer marketing, even though that's not how it was called at the time. I ended up sending some products to fashion bloggers. These bloggers would write a review. That review would turn into traffic. That traffic would turn into clients. And long story short, that's how I sold my box of ties that was sitting in my living room. And with that experience in mind, we learned a couple of things. Number one, that influencer marketing works, meaning it was a great way to actually generate business. Number two, that it was actually quite hard to do. It was very time consuming. Um, and it was also very opaque, right? When you don't have the right data to make the right decision, it can be really really hard and so with that in mind that's where we sort of had the eureka moment thinking hey wouldn't it be nice to have a tech company that does this and so that was back in 2012 and we started to put together a team since then um so it was about 10 years ago the company upwinds has now grown to about 110 employees we're headquartered in the us where we have most of our revenue coming from the us uh, but we're still very much an international company and um, i on the side did a phd on influencer marketing so I, I I feel like I have uh, some credentials when it comes to, to influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Okay, uh, uh, can you tell where to start if some businesses want to jump on this field to earn and get uh, customers? Where they need to start, what to learn, uh, how to find responsible companies who will lead them in the right direction? Just more insights about that. Yeah. Um, I think that depends on a number of different criteria. Number one, um, if they want to do it in-house or if they want to externalize, you know, when it's a field that you really don't know, it can be tempting to to find people to do it for you. And um, a lot of people we know have started like this. So it's great to test the waters to see if influencer marketing is right for you. Usually it's not the way you are the most ROI positive because the agency of the people you're externalized is to tend to eat up part of your margin as well, which is, you know, the name of the game. So a lot of people start small with spreadsheets, you you know, they find influencers natively on Instagram, for example, they DM them. So they, they keep this very um, god-awful spreadsheets um, uh, until basically they are ready to find what's their playbook, to really find a unit economic that works for them, and then basically internalize it by bringing in a tool that allows them really to scale their influencer marketing program, right? So um, I would say um, to start, 
that depends what kind of business you are. If you are a direct-to-consumer business, if let's say you're an e-commerce company, um, a great way to start at very low risk is to offer coupon codes, to offer incentive to influencers that lowers your risks. Uh, instead of paying you and Anatoly, let's say you're an influencer, $100, I can offer to pay you 10% of whatever business you bring in. In that way, our interests really align. And if you succeed, I succeed. As opposed to if I pay some money upfront, I may have misjudged your ability to perform and I may you not know, be losing some money. So um, I would say as a small business, if you're really unsure um, if influencer marketing is right for you, I would start small. I would try to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And I would try to find a value proposition for the influencer, an incentive that really aligns the best interests of, of everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I read about influence marketing, in most cases, uh, customers uh, are thinking about Instagram. I don't know why. Uh, we, you can get customers on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on any other places. But in most cases, Instagram, can you tell why? Because in on Instagram, we can submit our links in posts. Yeah, we can do it on yeah. stories, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in bio, but we can submit to some posts. Can you tell why Instagram? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think it's be because back a few years, Instagram was basically the name of the game. It was the only platform that was really pulling the audience. Um, and so, you know, before the emergence of TikTok, now we we have some sort mm -hmm. of this counter power and uh, YouTube was always there, but, but very minimal. But really, Instagram was overwhelming. So if you wanted to do influencer marketing, you had to start by Instagram because that was very much where the audience was. Now it's a little bit more diverse, which I think is great. It's great for the market. Mm -hmm. It's great for the influencers themselves. It, you know, it's great to to build a little bit a little bit of competition, a little bit less of a monopoly in that sense. Um, but I think this is still very true in the minds of marketer. Now, to your point, there's an immense benefit to really positioning yourself as a brand on the platform that's up and coming. And the reason behind that is um, it's a great way to do some arbitrage, right? Because at first, was when a new social network really comes you know, uh, into existence out of thinner, there's a lot of users, there's a lot of engagement, but there are very few brands, which means that if you come in as a brand, you will have a fantastic bargaining power essentially, right? Because when you solicitate an influencer saying, hey, I'd like to work with you, you're one of the very few that does that, right? There's not a, another hundred brands that are doing this. So at first, uh, there's a, a very much a first mover advantage because you really get uh, the opportunity to do great partnerships uh, and, you know, to test the waters with great influencers as well. So to your point, Instagram is still very much prevalent. We see uh, TikTok emerging very strong and I think that's amazing. And others will come, right? Influence, uh, social media is very cyclic in that sense. Uh, but as a marketer, if you have the opportunity and you see something emerging, there's always a, a great benefit to really position yourself early on on a new, pla on a new platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Um, okay, uh, let's talk more about... Um... Uh, how to use influence marketing. For example, uh, I know two ways. The first way uh, for companies that want to find new customers, a loyal audience. The second way, uh, if someone want to jump on this field and find <laughs> companies who will pay money to them. Uh, let's help uh, the first uh, type of... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, can you tell how to find the right influencer today? Uh, how to reach out, which platforms to use? Because uh, I see various ways we can uh, find directly. We can use some resources uh, or uh, you can share other uh, ways how we can find the right influencer. And uh, for me, it's more important how to check it out, uh, that uh, metrics are good, that audience is related to our products mm -hmm. and uh, how to test results. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic question. Uh, so I'm 
I, I can get very passionate about this. So if I go on a monologue, please, uh, please stop me, right? Um, a couple of thoughts. If I zoom all the way out, there are two methods. There's an outbound method. So I, the brand, will reach out to you, the influencer. I will pitch you whatever it is I do. I'll try to convince you. And there's the inbound method, which is I, the brand, will look into my consumer base to identify who among my consumers are influencers, right? That can be done with tools, including Upfluence. But um, this is two very different playbooks and two very different ball games, uh, if I may. The first one, you have to have a very strong value proposition because you are going to be reaching out to influencers, depending on how strong your brand is, who may or may not know who you are. So it's going to be about convincing them that you can be a good fit and that you are worth their time, essentially, right? So as opposed to inbound, what we're measuring is that when you reach out to influencers that already know your brand, that already bought your product with their own money, right? There are a few benefits that come to this. Number one, they are seven times more likely to be working with you, right? So uh, it's a lot more efficient for you to work with these folks. Number two, they cost about half as much as an outbound influencer, meaning it's going to be a much better budget allocation for you to work with influencers that already know your brand. They are a lot easier to convince in that sense. Um, number three, because they are a lot more credible to talk about your brand, because they love it so much, they have bought it with their own money, they're in a situation where they tend to be to produce a lot content that's a lot more authentic, right? a lot more genuine. And that's a fantastic thing um, for you because you get to have great content that you can capitalize on as well. So at the end of the day, um, experimenting between inbound and outbound can help you really maximize your return on investment because it really maximizes the returns and it minimizes the input, the investment, right? So I would say that that's one thing I would be very um, um, eager to try um, to really make money with influencer marketing. The number two, and, and I've already started to, to touch on this, it's really find the right value proposition. So what is it you're going to offer to influencers? And it's a little bit of a spectrum, uh, if I may. On one hand, you, have, uh, you can be extremely generous. Let's say uh, I'm going to offer a million dollars to every influencer who's willing to work with me. I can guarantee that 100% of them are willing to work with you. However, you are going to have a terrible, terrible return on investment for your campaign. On the other hand, you're going to reach out to very large volumes of influencers saying, hey, would you work with me for free? And chances are you are going to have a very minimal uh, response rate to that outreach. But if you do, it's going to be more likely a very excellent ROI because you have invested zero, right? And the, tr the truth is obviously somewhere in between. And you have to, to really find where you're comfortable putting the cursor in between those two extremes so you can really incentivize the work, but at the same time guarantee a strong ROI for your brand so you can keep investing and, and keep growing your influencer marketing efforts. Th does that mm -hmm. answer your question? Uh, yeah, but uh, can you share more about technical aspect? How to find mm -hmm. the right influencers today? Yeah, yeah of course. So. There's an editorial component and then there's a, a, a metrics component. And I'll, I'll go to both. The editorial component is to make sure that um, the editorial line of the influencers is really aligned with uh, what message you want to push as a brand. So if you're a fashion slash apparel company, you, it's interesting to work with influencers who produce the right content, who use the right keywords, who position themselves on the right hashtags and so on and so forth. And these are going to be great ways to determine um, how 
closely aligned you are with these influencers. So you can you know, use the search bar of any social media platform to find these creators who position themselves on these hashtags. You can use companies like Upfluence to go a bit deeper and search into the content itself or search into the bio of influencer. Or, uh, But case in point, the editorial aspect is really important. And you, you are going to try to find influencers who are the best possible fit with your brand that use the same keywords and that talk about the same things. That would be item number one. Item number two, it's important to look into the demographic of the influencer, the influencer and then their audience. It's two different things. So what I mean by that is, uh, let's say you're selling a cosmetic product um, that's targeted specifically for women age 25, 35. Well, it's important that the influencers themselves that you reach out to fit that demographic. Because if you are going to send them a product, if you are going to make a review of that product, it's important that they can really identify, it can really work for them to begin with, right? But then again, there's the audience. The profile of the influencer, their demographics and the demographic of the audience are two different topics. Right, so I may be a female age 25 to 35, but it's not necessarily that my audience will be the exact same demographics as well. So it's important to have a sense of what percentage of the audience is female, what percentage of the audience is US-based, if your market is the US, for example, what percentage of the audience is within that age bracket and that age bracket. And those are things that are going to be very helpful for you to identify the influencers that generate the most resonance. And the last tip that's very practical that I really like, depending on what objective you have, you might want to go after different strategies. What I mean by this is uh, uh, you have two families of objectives generate brand awareness. So I want notoriety. I want to be known. I want my brand to be known and basically conversions. So I want people to buy my product. And if you work with several influencers on the same activation, you might want to look into audience overlap and to either maximize it or minimizing, depending on what you want to achieve. If you want to maximize the brand awareness, what you want to do is to minimize the overlap, meaning uh, working with 10 influencers with a minimal amount of overlap, I want to make sure that a maximum amount of unique people unique followers of these influencers see my you know product placement see the posts that contain uh, my product and so in that case the maximum amount of people will see only once or once comma something one one point something times uh, your content the other strategy is to maximize the overlap so to make sure that you increase the frequency of people seeing this. And so in that case, you can create a cluster of influencers who have very high overlap, and you can make sure that their followers will see your message two, three, four times, and that will maximize their propensity to buy, but that will also limit the reach and the, the you know, the unique impressions generated as, as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it, valuable. Uh, okay, can you tell uh, how many posts can be order. Uh, I know it depends. It depends. Uh, it's hard to reply to this question. But uh, for example, if Cristiano Ronaldo posts content about Nike, he mm -hmm. he can do it one time. You know, it's enough because <laughs> of 300 yeah. million audience uh, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But what about other uh, others? Uh, for example, if I post one time, uh, for example, if someone reach uh, reach out to me and ask, please post content on my LinkedIn profile. If I do it one, I'm not sure that the results will come great. Sometimes I can get high engagement. Sometimes it's slow. It depends. Uh, can you yeah. share uh, 
the average data for example uh how many posts do we need to order and how to measure the ROI? you know because for example uh, uh i often see when uh, someone orders from influencers but they can measure uh how many sales they can get from this because uh, sometimes it's for creating brand awareness or uh yeah brand image yeah can you tell more about that yeah, of course. So plenty of great questions and uh, a lot to unpack. So first one, the um, number of uh, collaborations, the number of posts. Um, the industry has really changed in the last few years on this. And I think that that's really great. It used to be only once, you know, it used to be, I'm going to work with that influencer and then that influencer and then that influencer, but only once. And so it was very much a, a, a volumes game in that sense. Now, what we've seen, and I think that, that trend has really been accelerated by COVID is that people work on evergreen partnerships with influencers that work well. So that means they are going to say, hey, you're in my network, you're in my ambassador network or whatever it is. Every time I'm going to launch a new product, you're going to receive one of this. Every time I have a new promotion, you're going to receive custom coupon codes. Every time I have a new you know, event or a new seasonality thing uh, that's proper to my business, you are going to be in the loop. And what we find is it's a lot more efficient to work that way because you've already created, you've already invested the time as a brand to create this, the relationship with the creator. And if it's a mutually beneficial relationship, you can keep nurturing it. It's a lot more efficient than to have to create net new relationships. And the way most brands look at this this way is, is this influencer RI positive for me? And as long as they are, they're going to keep working with them. And if they are not, say, well, sorry, you know, this is not working out. You know, let's try again next year. And they're going mm -hmm. to try to create some new relationships. So as a, as a consequence, it can be one post a month. It can be once every two weeks. It can be once every quarter. Like it really depends on your seasonality and what your strong uh, events you have as a business this year. Um, but um, it's definitely becoming more of a thing to have recurring partnerships and it's really a, a, a benefic beneficial thing um, as well. It builds credibility. If you see an influencer that's, uh, that's really a, a billboard, you know, that tends to advertise brand A today, brand B tomorrow, that can also um, deteriorate their engagement rates, uh, can deteriorate their performance. So it's also a very responsible thing from influencers to try to be uh, more authentic and more genuine and more faithful to the advertisers they work with so they can create longer term partnership that make more sense to their followers as well so that mm -hmm. was the, the first part of your question um and I, I forgot the second part of your question i'm sorry natalie uh the second part of, uh, was about measuring roi i mean like yeah. uh, return on yeah. investment yeah yeah absolutely so um more and more brands are using ways to attribute sales to a specific post. You mentioned it, if it's on Instagram, it's only on sw story swipe up or stickers that you can have actually tracked links. So what a lot of brands have been doing to work around that is to have uh, custom coupon codes. So either brand will create a coupon code that Anatoly 20 and all of your listeners uh, will have 20% off my products uh, using that. And of course, it's a very restrictive way to track RI because a lot of conversion might be slipping through the cracks, but it's a very pessimistic way to look at it, but at least it's a safe way to look at this, right? Because if you are RI positive, just factoring the GMV generated from that specific code, Anatoly 20, um, you know, divided by the cost I have, in that case, I know for sure I'm RI positive because I might have lost some conversion in the, in the way. So a uh, pessimistic way to look at it, but a very safe way to, to look at RI. The alternative is when you do not have track links, when you do not have custom codes, 
a lot of brands have been doing uplift analysis, meaning I've been running a campaign, I have a baseline of sales, as that campaign elevated my baseline and the difference is surely attributable to my campaign. This is a method I personally do not like. There can be a million things that go, you know, that go on um, uh, every day. And so uh, it's not necessarily attributable to your campaign specifically. So I've, I've always been uh, a little bit uneasy about this one. What some other brands do, mostly for awareness campaign, they try to find equivalencies, right? So they would um, use um, KPIs like the EMV, the earned media value. And um, something we've seen a lot is uh, brands thinking, all right, the CPM on Instagram usually is $6 CPM, right? So I'll take the number of impressions I've generated with my influencer campaign, multiplied by my CPM divided by 1000. That's my earned media value. That's essentially how much it would have cost me to run this campaign on a regular media campaign on, on Instagram. And so I, again, don't like that, that metric very much because it's a little bit uh, false equivalencies here, but it's one way that marketers have been using that to justify internally to their management, uh, you know, how well or, uh, you know, how they position compared to other um, uh, channels as well, right? So, so yeah, mm -hmm. I hope that answers the question. Okay, I uh, got it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, I'm interested about uh, what type of content uh, influencers can create to, uh, to provide results. Uh, I mean, like uh, in most cases, um, uh, if I post some e-commerce content on my LinkedIn or uh, Facebook or Twitter or any other places, I can't get high engagement. But if I share value, help my uh, audience, uh, provide new valuable insights, breaking news, yeah, uh, I can win this engagement can you tell uh how to find this balance between uh selling products and sharing value uh because for example i'm not sure that it's a good idea to tell influencers please uh tell about my product uh and something like this if audience is not interested uh, um, most social media platforms they usually check out how people react to this post and uh if uh, it's low uh, others uh, can't see this post can you tell more about that yeah, fantastic question. So one thing that we track with Upfluence is the efficiency rate, meaning compared to a baseline of organic posts, so posts that do not necessarily mention a brand, so that more value-added posts, uh, how well or how poorly do sponsored posts perform, right? And what's interesting is that you can see that some influencers are underperforming dramatically. So if uh, there's a 100% baseline, their sponsored posts would be at 20% of the engagement or 30% of the engagement. But you see some uh, influencers who actually overperform, right? They are 110%. So some content can be successful, even though it's promotional, right? And um, I'd say my tips here are try to be, as an influencer or as a brand, expect this of the influencer and, and write very detailed brief in that sense. But um, understand that influencers know their audience best, right? So do not tell them what to do. Do not necessarily tell them as a brand how to work with their audience because they know it mm -hmm. best. They know what works and know what doesn't. So it's actually very hard for some marketers to uh, uh, to learn to let go and say, okay, I'm going to surrender my marketing message to you, random influencer. And you are going to appropriate yourself your message and translate it in a, a content form that works for your audience. And that can be very scary. And I know for a fact that some industries really do not wish that, right? Especially in the luxury world where the message is, is everything. When you really try to cultivate an exclusivity component when it comes to your marketing message, it can be really scary to work with an 18-year-old TikTok girl, right? Um, that is going to, to relay your message. Um, 
that being said, this is how it tends to perform best, right? So um, if that influencer is doing exclusively reels or uh, carousel or you know, whatever content format works for that person, trust the process, trust the person and say, okay, do something that works and that's going to be consistent with the rest of your content so it doesn't really stand out as a sore throat um, and, so, and so your followers can really engage with it. I would say, um, so a combination of these two. Number one, at the selection phase, when you look to work with influencers, find influencers who do not overindulge in sponsored content. And when they do it, they do it really well. So that's that piece of a job is on you. But second, it's on an influencer. Really trust them and let them do their thing so that it really uh, looks like themselves, right? It doesn't stand out for something that they may or may not have fully endorsed. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Nice. Uh, let's talk about um, learning influence marketing. If someone want to jump on this field, uh, where to start? What kind of books to read or blog posts or uh, courses to get? You know, if someone want to uh, be a big influencer in the, in the future, you know, and sell products. Can you tell more? Yeah, of course. So there's a ton of resources online. Um, and one resource that comes to mind, it's a platform called Influencer Marketing Hub. They do a very good job at gathering, uh, at writing very long form guides, at providing useful tools to uh, measure how much you should charge as an influencer or how much you should pay. It's a uh, you know, publicly available resource that's really great. Of course, I'm, go I'm going to, pre to toot my own horn here, but uh, upfront, mm -hmm. we do our, have a very active blog as well. We produce uh, case studies, white papers, eBooks. Uh, so use and abuse uh, of these resources if you're getting started there certainly will be uh, things for you to learn that being said i myself tend to learn by doing um and um i know a lot of people are doing this as well so the best way is to you know get started on the influencer side you know start your account you know really uh, look at what other people are doing you know try to find your voice try try to get content out there see how it performs and and really iterate and see okay how can i improve this how can i what worked what didn't uh, and and really look into that on the brand side i would you know go to my boss try to negotiate a very tiny budget and um and her approval that i can uh, allocate a few hours of my week doing this and i would try to reach out and uh, you know have conversations see what works see what doesn't see what kind of feedback i get and uh, i would start like this um and um yeah, and as much as I can, so I've, I've spoken on both sides, I'm going to meet in mm -hmm. the middle. Uh, I think the most successful collaborations are, are really a blend of everybody's idea of the brand's product, of course, but the, the creator's creativity. That's why we're mm -hmm. called creators. And something that I've seen working really well for live shopping or things of that nature is really to combine the expertise of a brand and the creativity of influencers via co-creation, via uh, you know social selling, where one does the selling, the other one does more of the expertise, and this is how it works. And I think this tends to, to do really well. Um, but most of all, find authenticity, find something that's genuine, find, find something that comes from the heart. The, uh, the industry has been you know, criticized uh, for not being authentic, for influencers being sellouts and things of that nature. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do influencer marketing. And if you your content is authentic, you're definitely in, in the right way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, nice. Okay, guys, if you want to jump on this field, just learn uh, a lot and uh, act. act. Uh, by the way, about acting, can you tell uh, how do I know that uh, it's the right time uh, trying to find customers in influence marketing? Uh, because uh, I often see when uh, uh, some 
people without uh, audience, loyal audience, big audience, trying to sell. You know, it doesn't work today. It's better to gain a loyal audience. Can you tell more about that? How to find this right time? So. I don't necessarily agree with your statement if I if I understand it right. Uh, we've mm -hmm. seen clients be extremely successful working with tiny, tiny influencers. You know, we tend to say mm -hmm. micro and, and nano influencers. Recently, I've heard mm -hmm. pico influencers. You know, we're, we're getting even uh, smaller and smaller. But if your value proposition aligns with the size of influencer, meaning something that doesn't cost you a lot as a brand for an influencer that's very small, that still can be worth your time, right? So um, we've seen uh, influencers, we've seen, sorry, brands work with literally thousands of influencers who have somewhere between 1,000, 3,000, 5,000 followers on Instagram, for example. So very, very small communities and still mm -hmm. be ROI positive because what, what they were giving away was some content, some exclusives. Uh, they were giving away some products, you know, where... The perceived value might be a hundred dollars, but that actual monetary value is at the end of the day your production cost mm -hmm. and, and your shipping cost. So something a, a lot more easy to manage. And so just balancing that, you can have a very low cost of acquisition, if I, I speak very cynically of way to work with influencers. And at the same time, whatever comes in is basically RI positive, right? So um mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, you can make any situation work, I guess that's my point. Depending on what your business is, depending on what your unit economic is, you, you may or may not have the right value proposition for the right kind of influencer. But when it comes to when to start, we've seen brands start on day one. You know, some some brands, have, you know, Gymshark or like some, some D2C brand, direct-to-consumer mm -hmm. brand, have done extremely well from the day they started. They didn't have any sort of following in social media. They right away started to work with influencers. And they've been crushing it ever since. Some brands have been very, very late to the party. Uh, they they sort of uh, saw influencer marketing as the a last resort. And you know, with COVID, with uh, the cookie apocalypse, I know being mm -hmm. increasingly hard to deploy your marketing dollars for uh, display ads, for example, with uh, um, you know the rise in acquisition costs that you see on Facebook ads or AdWords. Some people had to be unwillingly starting influencer marketing and ended up being happily surprised as well. So. Um, I guess at the end of mm -hmm. the day, there's no wrong time to, to start. It's never too early. It's never too late. Um, so, you know, take it uh, as a scientist, right? Run experiments mm -hmm. for my hypothesis, confront them to the, to the reality and see what works, see what doesn't and iterate and, and keep going. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Nice sharing. Okay. Let's talk about uh, how to measure, uh, I don't know, like uh, how much to charge. Uh, from customers because for example in paid marketing we have cost per click and we know for example uh, some clicks cost uh, I don't know like a few cents others cost a hundred dollars for a click mm -hmm. no it's a lot how uh, to measure <laughs> uh, this price for influence marketing if you want to sell this product yeah so from the influencer perspective there's two things to consider there's Basically, what are your costs and what's the value that you bring? Um, mm -hmm. So very cynically, if uh, making a great YouTube video takes you 10 hours and you value your time at $50 per hour or you know, whatever your, your hourly rate is, you can multiply A by B and you know having, okay, this is the minimum amount I'm willing to charge, right? This is what I want upfront. This is uh, the, rate, the amount under which I'm not going to go. It's option number one. The option number two is what value do I bring to the brands I work with? And uh, if you can quantify the amount of views you bring in, if you can quantify the number of clicks you bring in, try to find an equivalent saying, hey, I'm, I've brought 500 clicks. I see the average CPC on AdWords for these kinds of keywords 
tends to be three dollars 500 times three uh 1500 right this is going to be my cost moving forward and so these are sort of the two methods i would try to um to have uh, as an influencer to price myself and to really have a, a rate card that reflects the reality of the market now if i want my, myself to differentiate from the rest of the crowd and the rest of influencers i would try to lower the perceived risk from the brand so if i'm very confident in my ability to generate 500 clicks why not say hey you can pay me a hundred bucks so you know that pays for my time uh, putting in the content and then you can pay me the average CPC that you have per click right if you're very confident in the value that you you built that's a great way to incentivize the client to work with you more and more because their perceived risk is going to be much lower right so I would say a combination mm -hmm. of the of both to to really make it work mm -hmm. um, once I have a guest on my podcast Dave Mack uh, he uh, lives in Japan right now okay uh naturally he's uh, from uh, scotland uh, he he tried to live in australia right now he's in, in japan and he shares uh, some another way how to use influence marketing uh, okay. he, uh, uh, he shares that you need to find some products online uh, good mm -hmm. products that uh, are ignored by paid marketing to create landing pages for these products and sell them uh, that means you don't need to use social media. Uh, yeah, you can set up paid ads on Facebook or Google or Microsoft. He personally loves more uh, Microsoft and Google uh, okay. because Facebook doesn't work for him. Uh, and uh, can you tell about uh, such methods? Uh, do we need to consider these methods, for example, uh, if uh, I have no loyal audience, but I want to earn on this field, if I find some products, create landing pages, uh, set up paid ads, what do you think about that? I love it. And uh, I'd say, if I zoom out to answer your question uh, as best I can, I think that the world of influencer marketing and the world of affiliate marketing are converging. And there's more mm -hmm. and more overlap every day where, um, you know, if you look at the big affiliate marketing companies, uh, Pepper Jam, Partnerize, uh, Impact Radius, all these folks, they start to offer influencer marketing capabilities to the software. And my world, the influencer marketing world, we're starting to offer coupon code generation, sales tracking, you know, uh, uh, track links and, and all that jazz to really tie in the ROI loop as well. So I think both worlds are colliding. And so a scenario in which someone with an audience would piggyback on someone's existing affiliate marketing program, for instance, and just funnel his audience towards that so that he can make money on every conversion that's brought in. Fantastic. I love it. You know, And I think that really complements my previous point that once you try to define your value as an influencer, um, try to find how much value you could bring into the advertiser. And you can nurture a relationship with said advertiser, or you can find readily available affiliate programs that you can just apply to and, and then do your thing, right? So I absolutely love it. And um, mm -hmm. and yeah, if you have a niche audience that's sufficiently engaged to you to make it work, I know some influencers who work exclusively with that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Uh, can you uh, tell the future, uh, your prediction, forecast about influence marketing? W what kind of future can we get in influence marketing, especially if uh, metaverse or any other stuff will come to the place? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to look forward by looking back a little bit, but I think influencer marketing is going nowhere. You know, it's, it's not going to go out of fashion in, in the next couple of years, as many have predicted, because the fundamental of influencer marketing is a very simple psychological mechanics is that when a proxy tells that tells something good about you 
it carries more weight that if I tell something good about me. Like for instance, if you Anatoly tell your followers that I'm a great guy, it's going to be received a lot better than if I'm telling the world I'm a great guy, right? That's basically the fundamental of influencer marketing, of employee advocacy, of user-generated content. You know, so many words are relying on that specific um, mechanics. And so that, I think, is deeply rooted in our monkey brains. And, and this is going to stay true for, for many years, regardless of the platform. And what we've seen is that this mechanic being translated first on blogs, you know, when the internet came into existence, then on Facebook, Twitter, then on YouTube, Instagram, now on TikTok, tomorrow on the metaverse, the, the day after tomorrow on whatever platform comes next. And this is going to, to remain somewhat true. So my prediction is that to be a successful marketer, especially in the uh, business to consumer world, you're going to have to be very agile and being ahead of the trend. As I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, uh, there's a huge first mover advantage. If you are the first marketer to move to a specific platform, you are going to be able to tie very excellent partnerships with up and coming influencers. And so keeping your finger on the pulse, keeping your ear to the ground in that sense is going to be a huge factor of success for you as a marketer. So that, that would be a, a prediction. Um, my other prediction is that um, it used to be all about upfront payment to influencers. It used to be all about large influencers and to take SEO terms, I know you're a big SEO guy, we're starting to go a longer tail, right? Uh, with influencers, which is something reasonably new. And um, um, it was a bit of a double whammy for, for a lot of people because uh, um, at first, all the brands were reaching out to the same few influencers that they already knew, right? And uh, what that created is that it created a huge inflation on the prices because these few influencers were over-solicited by brands day in, day out. And so they had all the bargaining power in the world and they could charge outrageous amounts. But it was back in the day where folks didn't really know how to approach ROI. So they didn't really know that, uh, you know, they were not making any money, they were actually losing money. But when they started to have that realization, they were like, wait a minute, you know, why am I paying more for uh, a celebrity influencer who's not necessarily delivering? And so they started to go you know, middle tail and then long tail. And I was talking about micro influencers, nano influencers, pico influencers. This is exactly that. And what I'm thinking, my prediction, and this is something at the company we, uh, we've been thinking about for a long time, is what we call ubiquitous influence, meaning influencers are not just uh, the responsibility of your social media marketing team, it's actually everywhere. Your influencers are in your customer base. If you're a brick and mortar um, company, they are the ones who eat in your restaurant or buy your bagels in your New York bakery or, or whatever it is, right? So the challenge for the industry is going to be able to bring the online world offline and try to tie the loop so that influencer marketing can be basically everywhere. And so if let's say you are a customer support agent at a company, every morning you have a hundred tickets, customer tickets to go through, you are going to need to know which one of these folks is influential on social media. So that if there's a potential PR crisis waiting to happen, you need to jump on top of it. You need to provide excellent VIP customer service to make sure that crisis is averted and you can turn in this into a PR opportunity essentially, right? So mm -hmm. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, influencer marketing is going nowhere. It's going to change platform every few years. So you need to stay ahead of the curve in that sense. And influencer marketing is not going to be just the responsibility of the marketing managers, but basically it's going to be something transversal across the organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if some companies want to jump on this field uh, to earn, uh, or even uh, let's talk more about to sell with influence marketing, uh, to find the right influencers. Uh, can you tell, uh, 
how to find the right budget for influence marketing. For example, uh, I love uh, multi-channel approaches in marketing. For example, when companies share for ACO, paid marketing, social media, uh, and yeah, if they can divide uh, some, um, share some money with influence marketing, it will be great. Uh, I know some companies that uh, 100% all investments yeah. go to influence marketing. Can you tell uh, how to find this balance between marketing channels and uh, yeah, and to go with that? Yeah, so um, I'm going to give a, a Darwinistic approach to, to this answer, but I would allocate my budget wherever the ROI is the highest uh, by default. Mm -hmm. That being said, and I'm saying this as an entrepreneur, I would hate to be dependent on only one marketing channel because if something mm -hmm. goes wrong, then you have no backup, right? So I really would recommend people, even if they have one strong suit and they want to allocate two-thirds of their budget to influencer marketing, to SEO, to paid, you know, to whatever it is, still have have and keep experimenting on a couple of other channels so that if something goes wrong with their main play they can you know bounce back and, and they can really really scale um so i would say that i would say also something else i think there are great synergies between different marketing channels as well when you work with influencers they can create amazing content content that you can use for social media posts can decide to amplify these um you know with paid media budgets uh the best performing ones to really stretch your marketing dollars and to really make sure you can use this content to embed them on your product page and add you know an extra social proof that can really increase your uh conversion rate you can use this for your employee advocacy efforts so that your employees can reshare this content to their networks and you know and so on and so forth so i would really try to find ways to find synergies between your different marketing channels and to find a way to complement one another so it can really scale and progress all in the right direction Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Vivian, it's a big pleasure to get in my show to learn from you. You share a lot of valuable insights. Uh, tell uh, our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Vivian Garnes, G-A-R-N-E-S. Um, um, you can send me an email at uh, myfirstname.mylastname at upflins.com. You can ask me questions on Quora at the same name. I, I tend to be pretty active there as well. And uh, yeah, I'd say these are uh, the main free channels on, on which you can get a hold of me. Okay, guys, you can find all, this, all these links in the, in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Welcome anytime you know, to share valuable insights and see you next time. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.